whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. I'm very excited. My guest tonight is a director, co-host of the Behind the Curtain podcast, co-host of the Gay Card Revoked podcast. It's Rob Schneider, everybody. Hey, Patrick. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. I am so honored to be on your show. I love your show so much. Oh, thank you so much. And it's absolutely incredible. It's like a dream come true for me, so I'm, oh, I'm great. myself. All right. Thank well, you for having us. Thank you for being us. Had. Me, just me. Yes, I'm, I'm so used to having a co-host. I'm like, let me thank you on behalf of everybody. Let me thank everybody. this person over here. Right. It's me and my Merlot. So, <laughs> well, there's worse company. That's uh, true. That's very true. There's worse company one could be keeping, and uh, we're, you're here to talk about Lacajo Fall. Quick confession. I, yes. before doing research to talk to you, uh, my cursory research, obviously knew the show and, and, uh, and, and all that. But I, because of the movie The Birdcage, yes. incorrectly thought that Foal was French for bird. And that was where the title, The Birdcage, came yes. from. Yes. And was quickly disabused of that. <laughs> When, how did you find out? How, what did you do? Did you like it's do like, Google Translate? It's like the second line in one of the articles I read. It might oh, have been when amazing. I was looking up about the play. It might, I, I did like, you know what I mean? Like it might have been. Oh, I like, love that. And it was just like, yeah, it was like, no, full mean, does not mean bird. It, it, it kind of means a dirty word that I won't say. Uh, but um, hysterical <laughs> woman can, was the politest. Yeah, it was the <laughs> hysterical woman was the politest translation I found for it. But it kind of then made everything take on a whole new meaning for me a little bit. I was yeah. like, oh, this show's got some things to say. <laughs> We've got subtext galore, We've folks. Got all over the place. But how did uh, how did Lacage come into your life? I, you know, I picked it because uh, it was the first musical my parents ever took me to. I oh, was wow. I, yes, they were they were very progressive. Uh, I was four years old, and there was a big family outing, and the big family outing was going to the city to see a Broadway musical, and the musical just happened to be Lacajo Foll, and um, I fell in love with the theater from that moment. Since I'm I I was young, so I didn't know. I thought they were brothers. Honestly, sure. I thought that I was like, oh, they're two brothers, and something's wrong, and I can't figure it out. Right. Um, and then, of course, years later, yes. I'm like, I know what that is. Yeah, they're not I, brothers. I, I figured it out. But yeah, so it's it's the show, the show stayed with me, and God bless him. I loved the music so much when I was like four and five. Like most kids were like watching, you know, Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop, and I was like, George Hearn. And so they kept they would they would they bought me the album, and they would play the album you know, continuously in the house. And so for me, it's got a lot of sentimental value. It's the first show I ever saw. And it's yeah. one I'm like dying to direct at some point. I just, I just want to do it so bad. Just to like, oh, I'm kind of surprised you world. haven't actually. I'm surprised too. I'm like, yeah. come on folks, let me do this. Well, it has been recently revived more than I remembered. I, I knew about the 2004. I'd forgotten about 2010. I don't know why, but like, so it, it has come up twice in the last decade or so. Yeah. And you, it's one of those shows, like, it's sort of like Brigadoon, like every 10 years, not like the musical Brigadoon, but the idea of Brigadoon. The idea like of every, Brigadoon. Like yeah. every, every 10 years, some producers like, let's get old gay people from television and put them in a show. Which one? <laughs> or, or just yep. in case of like Kelsey Graham or old people who people who played effeminate characters not played effeminate ones. characters on television bring right. him in Kelsey uh, David Hyde Pierce not available right. call Kelsey I was gonna say he'd um, be really good in this show he actually. would be no he would be and he'd be really and, good and that revival that Kelsey Grammer and Douglas Hodge did I mm -hmm. thought was fantastic Mm -hmm. I just, I was like, it's totally different than what they did with the original. It, they made it seedier. They made the club a little bit more on the depressing side and on the campy side. I'm like, this is fabulous. We don't really talk about that 2004 revival all that much. Right. With, with, well, uh, <laughs> God, good, with Robert Goulet, God who came him. in at the, yes, at the last at second. The very last second. I saw, I don't, if, this is, if this is too much, just cut me off and I'll, I'll just shut up and I'll oh, go. Okay. But I, I saw 
Robert Goulet's first night when they had put him in. Oh my gosh. They had made the announcement. Like, Ladies and gentlemen, you know, the role played by Daniel Davis tonight will be played by Robert Goulet. Oh, the place went, went nuts. The place right? went nuts. Yeah. I have never seen this before on a stage. and I've never seen it since. He was so new to everything that if an actor did like a bit of business, he mm-hmm. would look at the audience and point to the actor and smile like, isn't this funny? Like, I was like, no, dude, you're in the show. You gotta like, you can't, you can't. Yes, we're acknowledging it. But like, you gotta play along with Gary Beach. But the best part was at the end of the show, when they like walk off in the sunset together, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, they're not going to like, it's Robert Goulet. He's not going to kiss Gary Beach. Right. That, I, I was like, this is intense. Like, this is intense. He grabbed Gary Beach and they made out under a moon. And I was like, great. Good wow. for you, Bob Goulet. Oh I loved there it. There you go. He, he well, was very good. It, well, that's good. I mean, it had been, I was just checking his IBDB to see how long it had been since Camelot. <laughs> 400 uh, years. <laughs> Well, but he did do you know, a couple things on Broadway in between. I was just wondering if he had gone straight from like the 60s to <laughs> Vegas and just hadn't been back and been like, oh, right, I don't break character. Like, I'm not, we're not oh, interacting. Don't do that anymore. Don't swing Sorry, the folks. microphone around. Sorry, gang. Sorry, Gary. I hit you Sorry, with the Vera. mic there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Vera. Had a problem. Right. <laughs> it's all better now. The only, way I can, the only way I can perform is if we can have some slot means going off in the background. That way I feel I'm in character. And I'm going to stop the show to hawk the buffet. So after I am what I am, I am what I am at Caesars for $9.99, folks. Open all night. Please Open all come night. Right. And yes, I love that, it. Yes. Yes. Nice so yes, Lakage is a, is a sentimental favorite of perennial mine. Perennial favorite. Yeah. A perennial favorite. Yeah. Well, that's really great. Yeah. It's, um, it's, a fun, it's a show that I think whole, your affection for it wholly depends on how you encounter it. Because yes. like a lot of music theater snobs, uh, I encountered it first as the show that beat Sunny in the Park with George for all Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that is a very unfair way to encounter any show. It doesn't matter, you know, let alone a show that's this good. I totally understand. You come to it with that baggage. You get because yeah. you're angry because I'm assuming you, you, you said, like you said, you fell in love with Sunday first. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, is it safe to assume you are isn't a fanatic like worship at its altar or oh yeah i'm i am a huge yeah no i think i think sunday in the park with george is the best musical of all time i haven't always thought felt that way yes yes i yeah it's yes it's great no but but it's but you listen to it and you cry and you Mm -hmm. cry and you cry and then you hear well you know it didn't win best musical and you're like well what damn show did right and then it's hard. So you automatically come in with that baggage. And it is also the fact that I also encountered it really in the book Sondheim and Co., Craig Zayden's book, which is like one of the first big theater books I ever read. And in it, he mentions the unfortunate incident that has been off discussed on this podcast where Jerry Herman, when winning best score, made those comments about the simple hummable show Which tune. was so rude. Which was, was just, I mean, was. and yeah. I think he, I think he like backpedaled in later life and was like, oh no, that's not what I meant. I'm like, no, that is no, exactly, exactly what, what you, you meant. meant. Yeah. And it was, I think that the, the bad feeling about Lacage beating Sunday wouldn't exist at least as much if that moment hadn't occurred. And it feels very like, now I do now also again today and yesterday having researched this to talk with you about it. This was a very hard show for him to write and a very hard show for him to put his stamp on. I mean, there's the stories of him having almost a breakdown in Boston right before they opened just because he was afraid that the audience was gonna revolt at it basically. I mean, I think we sort of forget you know, this is pre Brokeback Mountain. This is pre Will and Grace. It's pre everything. Yeah, it's pre every. Yeah. It's pre everything. You know, if you're seeing a gay character on television, they're always an effeminate punchline. Yeah. Like so, or they're going to die. I mean, or they're going to die if it's a yeah. drama. Like you know, someone's going to kill themselves at some point. Right. And so to see it portrayed not only in a positive light, but to also take it one step further and go, no, it can also be a family unit. Mm-hmm. as well i that would scare the crap out of me in 1982 83 as i you know as i'm trying oh, to put yeah. something together so in it boston, is you know, and in I, boston in yeah. like you know conservative conservative boston dicey territory dicey oh very territory. So. yeah yeah and and just one of those you know obviously it had huge success and uh earlier and written you know hello dolly and mame and huge huge shows but this was like a real 
I mean, a real labor of love for him and for Harvey Firestein and Arthur Lawrence. You know, it, it was a huge undertaking. Yeah, and there, I think for him also, there was so much riding on it because, you know, he had, like you said, he had the success of Dolly. He had the success of MAME. And then it was just one, can we say the F word on here? Flop? Oh, Are right. we allowed to yeah, say flop? There you go. <laughs> Jen Tepper's angry at me because I'm supposed to call it underappreciated. I'm sorry, oh, Jen. I'm sorry. Sorry, Jen, it's underappreciated. So, <laughs> so like, it's, but he had, you know, Dear World, and then Mac and Mabel, and then the yeah. Grand Tour. And so, and then Sondheim was dominating. So this guy, I think, has been written off. So it was, mm-hmm. I think for him, it's like, not only is it, hey, you're dealing with dicey subject matter. It's also like, you've had three unsuccessful shows in a row. Like, a fourth? Like, really? You think people are going to trust you after a fourth? You should be happy they trusted you after a third. So I can't yeah. even imagine that pressure that yeah. I don't think like Harvey Firestein and Arthur Lawrence might have felt as much because Harvey Firestein was you know coming off a torch song trilogy and successful yeah. Arthur Lawrence was very successful and I think it was a totally different ball game for Mr. Herman yeah oh absolutely and and it is also a musical that I think he's well suited to write because he's bringing his natural Jerry Herman levity-ness whatever you want to call that to subject matter that needs it at that period of time it needs this sort of like easy easy to swallowness for the audience so that they will accept the story that's being told he made it so palatable and harvey Mm -hmm. firestein they made it so palatable but i think it's his music more than any one of those three collaborators it's you're absolutely right Uh, great i mean and i think you can see that because like in 1992 i think the republican national convention used the best of times is our theme as their as their theme song and so like that's to me, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. That's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's a real, yeah, I mean, it's an absolute, it, it's an absolute tribute to the show, like sort of ironic, sad tribute in some ways, but yes. it is an absolute tribute to the show that it just sort of drifts into that success. And but, it's, it, it, but, it's, but that score is so benign that they could pick it up mm-hmm. and not even have any idea, not, right. not any awareness and, and be like, what's the problem? Yeah. Um, but it's, a, I think, I mean, I... I think it's a great score. I mean, I, th- mm-hmm. I will be honest with you, as much as I love this show, I think Sunday was robbed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I think, you know, I love this show, but I think Sunday was robbed because yeah. I think Sunday moves me every single time. And every time I go to Lacage, I'm always like, oh, that's a flaw I didn't realize. Or, oh, shoot, how do you like, how do you make that work? Mm-hmm. And Sunday, I never, I don't know, I just love Sunday. Well, this, yeah, is now called, mean, this is now called Sunday. Now it's, Sunday. <laughs> it's called F Lacage. The who Sorry. won, right, ultimately. Yeah. In the <laughs> Do I'm trying like, to come up with other words for flops, like shows do, that didn't achieve their full potential. I'm trying to get like underdeveloped. Under uh, there we go. Underdeveloped right. pieces of music. Right. Integrating <laughs> dialogue and dance. Oh well, that's a whole. That's for, <laughs> there are shows that ran for decades that didn't do that well. There are some shows I would dare say that are still running that maybe don't do that very well. So you know. Do Do you have a favorite Jerry Herman show? Or are you just like so turned off? This by is what my favorite Jerry Herman. Show. Oh, is it real? No, okay. No, absolutely. This is I. I. Uh, Robbie uh, Rizal talked about Mame when he was on my show, and yeah. um, he did that partially to to spite me. As I I do run down Jerry Herman's course because I do hate Hello Dolly, which is partially from the experience of having done it in high school. That um, can kill anybody. Yeah, <laughs> doing absolutely. a bad high school production. Yeah. And um, I just yeah, I I really don't like Hello Dolly. So, but I like you know I I have come to appreciate his song. I like Mac and Mabel especially. I think it's oh. a very fun show that really didn't get a good shot when it when it came through and no and um, i don't know yeah. if it ever unless they're willing to like go in and rework that you've book, really got to retool that thing yeah, I, I just don't know how it's going to work but that score that yeah. score and like merrily are two scores that just kill me because you're like what's built around it is so hard for an audience to accept like will this show ever fly and i i don't know how you do that i just don't know how you yeah fix i don't those know how you fix, no absolutely well i don't think <laughs> I think Merrily can be fixed. No. Uh, and this, as somebody called it, I saw somewhere, the best worst musical ever. Or the best musical yeah. that doesn't work. Not the best worst musical. The best musical that doesn't work. Chess is the best worst musical ever. Um, yeah. But... <laughs> the, I just listened uh, to that. I just listened yeah, to yeah, that. There you go. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, we love talking about chess. We love, <laughs> we love the chess here. And for all the right reasons. But before we get too deep in, we should Sorry. probably stop in case people don't know. Though I can't imagine they don't. And do you think you could summarize the plot of La Caja Fall for everyone? Uh, yeah, an, an asshole son comes and breaks up his nice family, and uh, <laughs> and Robert Goulet, you know, plays Kino. That's that's sort of it. No, it's it's this. Story. Is that it? Is that okay? <laughs> that's good for me. But I think we should probably give him a little. 
no, it's this it's the story of a middle-aged married same-sex couple that are living in the Riviera in France and they own a drag club, a very successful drag club. And the the son of one of the gentlemen um, who at one point had had an affair with a woman comes home and says, listen, dad, I'm going to get married and uh, I'm madly in love with this 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 girl. But the problem is, is that her parents are ultra conservative. They're the there is truly of the moral party, the morality party. And he wa- he doesn't like gay people and he wants to close down every single nightclub on the Riviera. So they're going to come and visit. So to give their blessing and uh, you're going to act like you're straight. And uh, Alban, who was his mother figure, a man says he's going to have to just go away for the night. And that's, and then hilarity ensues and a heartwarming finale. Um, But that's it. I mean, it's a son coming home and saying, I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of my family. Can you, can you hide who you are for the night to get through it? Which is always something that for me, I find really hard in that show, which is he's such an asshole. The, can I, I'm so sorry. You can I say that. You about no, because it's true. Yeah. You can he's say. such an asshole, this kid, that yeah. he comes in and you just want to like slap him. Like you just want to slap him. And then you're watching these two guys who are like turning somersaults to make him happy. And you're like, stop it. Like, stop it. I, I, la- I laughed as hard as I did when you said that because when we, we used to watch the birdcage in my house all the time, it was a yep. regular movie in rotation. And my mother would always get so mad at the son. I mean, so mad at him. And I couldn't really, as a younger kid, not fully appreciate, like I knew he wasn't being great and he does have cathartic moments in it where he realizes he's not being great at the end. That's sort of the emotional release of the, of the, of the piece. But it is funny that like you, because that's how my mom now every time is like, oh God, I can't stand the way he's acting. Oh my God, he's so terrible. Yeah. Why are they helping? Like, it's just such a funny, like, <laughs> and it definitely now is a terrible look on, on the, oh the my character God. Jean-Michel. <laughs> yeah. Well now, and I don't know. I mean, I've seen so many actors play that role and I'm like, how do you play this? And how do you, because at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself as an audience member, like, I have to root for them. Like I have to root for him to end up with this girl and it's, and you feel dirty. That's one of the hard things about that show is like in Sunday, I think you feel like you understand, okay, why he's putting Dot aside. Cause you're seeing the art, you're watching him create it. You see how much it means to him. And in Lacage, you're like, well, this kid's just a jerk. Mm-hmm. And you don't even get to meet the girl until like act two. Right. You know Very what? late. I, I have always wanted to see like a, maybe a scene at the top of the show with him and the girl. So that way you know what the love is. Like, what are they fighting for? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what, are, what am I supposed to get on board with? So mm-hmm. if I were to direct it, I would be like, Harvey, can we add a scene? Can we add a scene? Can we do Even that? just, yeah, anything. Because again, like I say, in the birdcage, they have that. They start with the couple and then we go out from and there. And it's brilliant. And you see yeah. how much they love each other. And you're like, oh, this is great. I can, okay, he's kind of an asshole, but at least I see what he's fighting for. In this, like they do with Anne on my arm, she pops in, she like dances, and she goes away again. And you're like, who are well, you? Well, and they also make it partially Callista Flockhart's fault in the movie because she starts the lies and then he yes. has to kind of back her up. Yes. And it just becomes this, like in a true farce, it's just a series of bad decisions and you kind it, of, by the time it explodes and Nathan Lane comes into the room, you kind of forgot how we got here. Like it doesn't exactly. matter. Exactly. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't right. matter because you're just laughing so hard, which yeah. is hard, I think, for a musical because a musical, like, you have to have an emotional attachment. I think in a farce, you can totally remove yourself. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You can just totally remove yourself. But in a, in a, in a musical, like, I have to root for these characters so that's always been a problem for me in that show so one thing that but I, that's the plot well that's the basic plot because one thing that, that kind of confused me about it structurally because it is different from the film la caja Fole yes. and the birdcage yeah because um, it is they only had the rights to the play so yeah. they couldn't do things like add the character of the mother who's in the both yeah. all the films so if you've seen the films it's, it's not to do like it, it's a little more different than the than the musical than you might expect but one of the the things that can conf- the, the, the sort of turning point always is that will he or won't he change himself or go away or for yeah. the sake of his of his son i'm talking about alvin here and it is in the musical since i've never seen it it is confusing to me that, that act one ends with i am what i am which is this tremendous expression of of triumph and and has become sort of an anthem in over the years but then we get into act two and He's into the training to be, you know, the training montage happens where he's trying to learn how to be masculine. Grunt like an ape and growl like a tiger. Give us a roaring, snoring, masculine laugh. 
Try to remember that John Wayne was not soprano. Try making it rough and gruff and low. Try more of John Wayne and less Bridget Bardot. Take a dick and make a Rasputin. Think like a Daniel marching into the dead. While trying to join the burly brutes, if you forget that your nylons are under your boots, you, you can climb up the mountain once again. In a number that is very funny, but feels like it, it, there's a great act one intermission Act two incongruity there that I couldn't quite reconcile. What the movie does, and they, I just, I don't think they had the rights to it, like you said. So I think yeah. this was, if you remember in the movie, there's that beautiful scene where he goes to him. I'll talk about the birdcage where he goes to yeah. him at the bus at the bus stop, mm -hmm. and he says, "I'm, you know, I'm going to be buried next to you because that's where I want to spend the rest of my life," and that sort of makes Nathan Lane's character realize. You know, this is this is bigger. Love is bigger than the than the argument we're having right now. Right. And so then I think it's a smoother transition then into him like, okay, I'm gonna attempt to like act like quote unquote a man for the evening. Right. In the musical, we don't have that. There's, mm -hmm. that's that is just gone. And I think that's such an essential moving that's a song. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like that that if anything cries out to be a song, you're like, that's a song right there. And, that was and they can't do it because they don't have the rights. Right. And that was something else that I was noticing a lot in this is that I felt, and I, this is a musical, even though it's written in 1983 or 84, it is very much of the like George Abbott 50s, yes. 60s mold that Jerry yes. Herman came out of. I mean, that's where it comes from, obviously. And Arthur Lawrence as well. Yep. I mean, that's where they came up to, to as, as performers. Because a lot of big scenes in this are not musicalized. No. And that feels like a mistake to me. The big one being that you hear on the album, the great George Hearn saying, Here's mother. And then we're out. And then the next time, like then there's a scene that happens much. This next song is the best of times. And it's, it's like, God, there's a whole scene in there that I really want to be. You feel like mom should come in. And to me, I've always, I agree with you. I feel like there should have been a patter song there mm -hmm. where she comes in like a tornado. She introduces herself to the family. She like wipes, you know, dirt off the son's face. She's right. passing it. And you just, you have no time to breathe and we have mm -hmm. no time to stop this runaway train. But you're absolutely right. And that's not musicalized. That's yeah. a perfect moment, yeah. right? That's a and perfect you, moment for that. Yeah. And it's a real, like it, it's, but in a, in the, you know, in the older model of musical writing, as you know, they would leave the big scenes to the book writer. So, because the numbers were there to buoy and assist and move the story along, but they were also there to sell records. Like, so we're not going to spend time writing a big, long operatic sequence here in the middle. As much as it would have helped yeah, the, the development the of the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious. That's actually a great, I'm wondering if they had ever considered that at one point of, you know, is this a moment? Because to me, that feels like, the dolly coming down the stairs mm -hmm. the, all, all the fox hunters singing to maine mm -hmm. like that's like a big lady number you know what i mean that mm -hmm. that feels like here's mama that feels like a like a number to me yeah yeah no i, I, I that really it felt missing in this because i hadn't listened to this in quite a while so it was really like oh and now there's gonna be oh wait no there's nothing it's, it's this other song yeah no I, I much I, later I, and it's yeah it's very it's you know i i will say i feel like both this show and sunday they both have a lot of second act trouble there's a lot of second act trouble that i think people you know it's hard to wrap your mind like you, you know at the end of act one of lacage he's ripping off a wig and he's just saying this anthem of i am who i am to hell with you if you don't like it where do you go from there and same with sunday he's completed the painting where do you go from there and i don't know if they ever if both shows unfortunately i don't know if they've ever you know been like right. yeah this is what this is what we do yeah, I, I've spoken on the show already about what I think about Act Two of Sunday, which is I think it's it's amazing, but it is an emotional experience more than a story experience. And Act yes. One is a very plot driven; uh, it's a story, and then Act yeah. Two takes it into the more emotional, intellectual level because basically just three scenes in the second act. Yeah, yeah, the rules change on you. They in do that one. The yeah, rules not change only the on time, you. but everything changes. Yeah, yeah, second which act. doesn't it doesn't bother me per se, but I know mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that are like, what the. We're, oh yeah, I get why it's not. Yeah, I yeah. that is never a show. When people say they don't like it, I'm never like, oh, how dare you? Because it's not everyone's taste. Well, but you brought up an interesting point. Something I do like a lot to talk about, especially with musicals, and that is act two. <laughs> because the other way this really resembles those 50s, 60s musicals is that act two is much shorter and 
much more like it's, wrapping the plot up as fast as we can and five reprises and we're done you know what yes I mean? it's, oh it's my god it's all I, reprises <laughs> it's always how i feel about the second act of fiddler which is a show that i adore but man that second act just and we're out you know what i mean that's so just good <laughs> rolls right down and suddenly anna tefka's gone and you're just kind of like i just that curtain, yeah filler the curtain goes Man. up he's like grab the sewing machine we're right. going to america it's, and you're like well that's it wait, hang on, right. we're doing <laughs> shut up we're doing rags and, I yeah. and but it is really this this model that existed for a long time especially in comedy where like act one yeah. was you know 60 to 70 80 minutes long and then act two is like well we got to have him out of here by you know time to catch the train we gotta get so, the train yeah they gotta yeah get the train. so it's we got we got half an hour gang rock yep. and roll and it does really have a there's another way where this show feels like I love a good act two, you know, in a, in a musical, I think act two can really, really buoy a musical. And you have a show like ragtime or something, which has an act two that takes you, you know, all your characters to different yeah. places and takes you really, or Sweeney yeah. even it goes like really oh, deep yeah. into the story. Yeah. Um, whereas this show really feels like it wants to be one act long <laughs> in its sort of execution. <laughs> You know, in a farce, you don't want to give the audience time to think about how implausible these situations are. Yeah, that's right. And true. if you're stopping for songs and you're stopping for applause and you're stopping for an intermission, you have lots of time to mm -hmm. think. But you're right. I, I, if this was a one act, I would not. Obviously, back then, they could not do that. That was not something that was welcome right. at the time. Right. But absolutely, I agree with you. I mean, you want to keep this as tight and as constrained as possible so that an audience can never have their mind wander or never go, why is this happening? What's this? What's that? I agree mm -hmm. with you. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, a funny, it's a funny issue. And I wonder when you're doing, when you're directing shows, it, do you find yourself in the second act of shows kind of... Oh God, we've got like, especially kicking off the second act. You've got to, got to get them right back in again. You have to. Pick yeah. Come up where they left off. How do you confront things like that when you're directing? Boy, well, that's actually, that's a fantastic question. Um, I usually will find something that parallels what we did in the beginning. I like a surprise. I like a, I like a surprise going into the second act because they're going to come in and they're going to anticipate that I've sometimes when I'll do do a play that sounds like so stupid it's like if it's a one unit set it's a unit set right the curtain mm -hmm. goes down on act one when they come when it comes on act two they're going to be like oh it's the same set we've seen previously I'll have switched the set around so now we're looking at the room from a different perspective so automatically the curtain goes up and they go oh mm -hmm. this is this is different you need to do something I think immediately that will get them to latch back in mm -hmm. so I usually like the curtain goes up and it's something totally new we have not seen before. Mm. That's, that's usually how I like to go that's about good, doing that. That's a good, yeah, that's a really good solution. I mean, it, it, yeah, cause you're right. When you settle back in again, it, it should be, and most good shows don't start like, you know, it, it's the thing about cliffhangers. I think that people always sort of don't remember is that a good cliffhanger when it comes back, doesn't start right where you left off and solve the problem. It starts somewhere else and then brings us to the moment we were cliff hung on to. Let's just build back up to that moment of tension. I so know that not like, you know, brushing into it. I know there's that. Yeah, I know there's that idea that like, you know, uh, that used to be that act two would start off with a number that was kind of superfluous because people were still coming back from the bathroom and all that stuff. I, I don't really agree with that. I, I think if there's fat, if you're saying this is superfluous, we don't need it. We don't need it, yeah. We, then we don't need it. It should not be here. So I think you need to find a way of getting everyone back in from the get-go. And I'm sorry, I'm not waiting for anyone to come back from the bathroom. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That's not how this is going to go. I do. Yeah, I mean, that's basically why on tracks were invented, I think, is to be like, everyone, please yeah. sit down. And yeah, and you're right. Like a lot of shows will kick off with, I mean, On the Town is a great example. I took my son to see that down here at Only Theater not too long ago. It was a very good production, but like act two starts with an on-track and then like characters sitting on stage doing nothing for a few minutes and then they dance a little bit and then it kind of gets started. You know what I mean? But it like really yeah, lets that, everyone come back from the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Really. And I'm, I, I oh, wait, think it, you know? I think we've evolved as an audience from that point. Mm -hmm. I really, I really, I really have. Yeah. I, re I really think we've evolved and we, we, we can handle that now. But yeah, that's, that's one thing I like to do in order to get people back into the second What do you act. think? So do you stage overtures and on tracks to speaking to that point do you like do you like a good i mean not the one that's a where, great question because some scripts call for it but like for you know any like, gy like gypsy, is, your in, gypsy is your instinct to stage everything 
or do you say no this this overture deserves everyone sit down shut up and listen i'm gonna no you know what that's a great question i'm i'm half and half what i will do mm -hmm. is is i will make sure half of the overture at the beginning is you are listening because you're getting it's almost like title credits and i think mm -hmm. i think you just I, I hate to say this but we are now a culture raised on movies and television and i think you need to help transition people going from a televised or on-screen event to an on-stage event so mm -hmm. i take the first half of the overture i let them listen to the music i let them get surrounded and then about halfway through that overture then we start to stage it mm-hmm then, then we add the second layer. Bring them into it. the world. And then we bring them into the world, which actually Lakage did very brilliantly. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the clips oh, no. of the original. Um, it's, they're online somewhere. It was marvelous. The, uh, half the overture was in front of a curtain. Mm -hmm. Then the curtain went up and the club was all, there was a model of the club and it was all the way upstage. And as the overture progressed, it went from upstage to downstage, like a tracking shot. Mm -hmm. And then it split in half and then the curtain, uh, the show curtain fell, and George came out and started the show. So it felt very ah, cinematic. It okay. felt very mm -hmm. cinematic. Um, so yeah, I think the first half is listen, get, get you get your ear tuned to what mm -hmm. this is going to be, and then the other half is now we're going to start the story. Mm -hmm. um, I no, I don't think it's hard. I think it's very hard to sit there um, and just and just because you you're, the music is so energetic and so exciting you just want to begin let's begin this story let's begin telling the story on tracks more often than not i try to cut mm. or i'll do like a that's reduced ver i'll mm -hmm. do like a reduced version of the on track just a quick little to me that's like you're standing you're talking to Anne shirley sit, right, down. sit down you have 16 bars to do it great yeah. now we're starting again shut up right um, open your peanuts I, and let's get going shut, yeah exactly yeah. exactly but no i i that's how i like to deal with an overture hmm yeah, that's interesting. You like that to to cut on track. So they don't exist a ton. They do like, especially not now. They barely. I think they barely go at all. Um, no, and I, you know what's so funny? More often than not, I will find myself arguing with a music director to to keep it on track because a lot of hmm. music directors I work with now are like, "Can we please cut this?" Really? I'm like, I'm like, why do you want to? Why do you want to cut it? They're like, we want. Let's get moving. Let's keep the story moving. Let's keep the story moving. You would think it would be the other way around that you know yeah. the music director would be like, no, this music no, has to excellent. right. Yeah, no, a lot of music directors I work with are the first ones to say like, we're cutting this, right? Wow. Go, well, that's that's. It's a loaded question. I can, yeah, I can I know. tell you I want the say, answer to yes, that. Yes, I know, right? I feel like you want me to say yes. Yeah, I feel yeah. like your subtext <laughs> yeah, is saying yes, to me. Not, it's a little subtle, but I think yeah. you want me to say yes. Yeah, but that's that's how I like to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's At whatever what, yeah. barn I'm working in, yeah. I just, uh, you know what, you know what overture I use all the time on this show to do pre-rolls is the one from Floor of the Red Menace, which I think is a tremendous oh, overture. Also another yeah, good one. That's a yeah, really good overture. that's also... Julie, Julie Stein, I think, had the best overtures, though. Like, yeah. if you listen to, like, funny, like, oh, gypsy, um, yes. I mean, yeah. The there's a, gypsy, there's yeah. two CDs, and uh, I think they're on Apple Music. Um, it's the overtures of Julie Stein, volume oh. one and volume two, recorded wow. by, like, the English National Symphony. Um, and they're incredible. Just incredible. Oh, wow. Yeah, sometimes the overtures on his are, like, better than the actual show, <laughs> you know? No, 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 that's not a... Yeah. Dis, I'm just but like, well, I'm but sorry, it I'd rather can be like his. Like, I, I remember an overture that, like, does not where it's a show that I have kind of mixed feelings about. Where the overture sort of the show does not fulfill the promise of the overture in some ways is Funny Girl. Like, Funny Girl has yeah. such is a good score, you know, obviously, big hit show. But the overture to that, having I did that show in high school too, and I loved it more when it was over than when we started. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like because it's so different from the movie. I knew the movie, I did not yeah. know the show, and the show was so. But it is really a show that kind of is just a little bit flat in some sections and kind of pacey. And the the overture is just one that gets you like standing on your feet, so excited. To see I it. I have never seen the movie A Funny Girl. You haven't? I've never seen the movie A Funny Girl. Is your I don't think going to get revoked here that's on this podcast. <laughs> Oh God! Don't tell Robbie. Um, we got trouble. Yeah, I've never, I've never seen, I've never seen Funny really? Girl. I've, ne I've never seen Funny Girl. It's a good movie. I would say, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good record of a good performance. I would say is the other kind of more than it's a. Good yeah, movie. I've seen clips and I'm like, oh yeah, she's incredible. I mean, I can't mm -hmm. imagine anybody else doing it, but I'm sure there's people out there. Well, every couple of years they threaten. And it's, then it's always it's, it was like Leah Michelle, Leah Michelle. and then, then they were like, no, it's going to be Lauren Ambrose, that comedian. Yeah. Um. And yeah, it's yeah. That's I. I wonder who. I wonder when they. When do they get to it? If they yeah. get to it. It's such a low. I mean, it's so much. I, this is a kind of a semi morbid thing to say, but I do kind of feel like the Barbara Streisand has to not be alive anymore before someone absolutely to do it. 
if for no other reason than I don't want everyone asking her what she thought of it because you know she's not going to say anything nice and she won't even see it. So it's just she won't even see it. She's not going to go. No, why would she? Why would she go? She's cloning her animals. She's got other things to do. Doing all her stuff, you know. She's in Jurassic Park all of a sudden. Yeah, she's she's in her empty mall cloning a poodle. (laughs) She'll send James Brolin to go see it. (laughs) Right. James, tell me, how was it? How was, was it good? Was it, tell, tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. <laughs> was Lauren Ambrose better than me, James? <laughs> God. Get Man. the poodles. <laughs> yeah. so, no, no, but I, I think you're right. I think there are some shows that that shadow looms so large that you're like, what's the... Oh, it's a career-defining part. You know, it's a career-defining role. And, yeah. and if you're going to do it, you got to be better than her. Yeah. You know, and, and do you, and do you, who has like the chutzpah to say, yeah, I'm better. Right. I was actually, I was very interested when they were like, oh, Lady Gaga might do it. I was like, that, mm-hmm. it's like, that would, that would interest me. I was like, I would go, I would absolutely it needs to be somebody like It needs to be somebody who, because they keep trying to cast unknowns or lesser knowns. And I think that's a mistake. I think you need to cast somebody no. who you know exactly. So you go, oh, it's not Barbara Streisand. It's this other person. Just like Ex- Star is Born, another Lady Gaga, Barbara Streisand. Exactly. You want actors who are, unbelievably well defined so that you don't compare them as much to the other to the previous performance i agree with you 110 percent. yeah 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 so do you find it, do you find you have uh, this, this this something that ever affects you when you're casting the the sort of like if you're casting a show that had recently a production or even has an iconic lead you know mm-hmm. actress in it in movie or in the in the film you know if you're doing like my fair lady or or uh the sound of music you find you have to go, ooh, like people are going to be thinking about Julie Andrews or Mary Martin if they're real fans, Mary Martin. Do I have to like, you know, do you, does that color how you approach? Or if you're doing something like Lacage, like having seen George Hearn and seen Gary Beach and seen these like. No, big no, I try, I, I try not to. I just, I try not to. I mean, I'm a musical theater nut. I can mm-hmm. tell you everything about these people's careers and how much I love them. But like, no, it's, it's, it's our version of what this story is going to be. And sometimes we don't need a George Hearn type. Sometimes we don't need a Mary Martin type because we're taking the story in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's always, there's always going to be a group of people that will complain. There's always going to oh, be sure. a group of people that are like, I, well, it, you know, it wasn't Mary Martin. Well, I'm, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe get a Ouija board. Maybe we can get her in here. Um, <laughs> She's there. The only did you ever see not to not to not answer your question, but did did you ever see that SNL sketch where it was um, Phil Hartman on a public access TV show and um, Nora Dunn Jan Hooks is interviewing him, and she's like, "So what are you doing?" And he's like, "Well, I'm going to be in the King and I, the community theater, right?" And she's like, when are you shaving your head? Yeah, like, I'm not like, going to shave my head. My head. Yeah. And she has like a nervous, like, how can you not shake your head? But the right. best part of that is like, he breaks down into tears and Nora Dunn's his wife. And she shows up and she looks at the camera. She goes, leave my husband alone. You want Huel Brenner? Dig him up. <laughs> it's so, it's so more. But there've been so many times where I've directed something and someone's been like, well, you know, she's, you know, she's not Ethel Merman. And I'm like, you want Ethel Merman? Nobody is, right? Nobody, nobody, nobody is. is. Can't you appreciate that's something I think that, that I wish people that love musical theater were willing to like be more forgiving about, which is like you're going in and the ghosts, the memories of what you saw originally are coming in with you. And for me, sometimes I feel like that's just like a wall. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, let that wall down, embrace this new person, see, you know. I know, like, I know so many people who did not give Lauren Ambrose a chance when that My Fair Lady came out because they're like, she's not Julie Andrews, she's not Melissa Erico, she's not this, she's not this, she's not this. And I'm like, yeah, but this could be something great. Like, leave yourself open to that possibility. I I wish there was more of that. So to to answer your question, no, I don't. I'm like, yeah, great. I know who these people were, Mm -hmm. but no. I know it's, yeah. it's a different story just just by mm-hmm. sheer fact that like Mary Martin's not in it we're crafting a different story because we can't do what she did we can't do what Julie Andrews did what energy are you bringing into the room mm-hmm. what energy what what maybe you have a great lesson or a key to this story that neither anyone before you has ever played has just figured out so why shouldn't we celebrate that mm-hmm. and then it's up to the audience audience to go yeah i agree with that and no i don't i just wish audiences including myself would just be more open to mm-hmm. those situations yeah it's hard i do it, it too yeah right that's the and that's the paradox of it is we you know you you do kind of go you, you can't help but compare the thing you saw to the thing it, you saw before i mean it's ex- just it's exactly if, yeah. if if you are doing sunday in the park with george and you do not no when you do finishing the hat 
Mm-hmm. Oh, God. It's, in yeah, my yeah. mind, it's Mandy Patinkin. Every ch- if you do a different vocal inflection, automatically mm-hmm. my I go, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? And I, I get I get protective. I get guarded. Mm-hmm. And I just wish that's something that we as a community could be like, let it go. Yeah. And it's very and it's, it's especially hard when you have performers who are that specific. I mean, like, it's just exactly. Yeah. There's nobody. Exactly. Tinkin, you know, it, it's not. And he's doing something that no one should try to emulate because it you know it doesn't always work when he does it so don't you no, know exactly i mean he's a god bless him what a risk taker oh my gosh yeah. i will i will say this about him when you watch him on a stage you don't know what the hell you're gonna get and to me that i think that's so exciting yeah. that's so exciting so don't but don't try to copy him don't try to no, be him because you can't you can't what's you can't. the point it's, it's absolutely pointless the song that uh, oh, i always think is sort of like the to be or not to be of American musical theater in that like when the song starts, the show stops for a few minutes because everybody knows it is uh, Ladies Who Lunch. I always oh my feel God, bad for yeah. anyone playing Joanne in, in company because it is just an impossible song to not go, well, that's a lane stretch. Like that is just, that's a lane stretch and that's all there is to it. And can you're I, either running away from that or you're running towards it. There's no, there's no in between. Can I tell you the best Ladies Who Lunch I ever saw? Oh, sure. It was Judith Light. Really? It was Judith Light. They did they did a company in mm-hmm. LA at Reprise, which was like their encores, and she played Joanne. And Patrick, she was incredible. She was the only one in my mind that I've ever seen that like was like Elaine Who. Right. Like it was it was just it was so good. It was so good. But every other person, I will automatically go, mm-hmm. you know, and there'll be people who will be better singers mm-hmm. and there will be people who will be better actors, but there, but no one will be better with that whole energy yeah. and charisma than what she had. And that's yeah. not a, a, you know, a disservice to her. It's just, there was something there. There every, I mean, every there. now and again, a piece of material comes along that so specifically suits a particular actor. There's just, and that's just kismet. You know, that's just, that is what it is. And it's, and, and yeah. And, and yeah. when you get to watch it, oh, and when you yeah. get to watch it as an audience member, there's, there is nothing yeah, that's it's electrifying. Better. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely. And it certainly is one of those things you hear about. I mean, about George Hearn in this performance. I yeah. mean, George Hearn being an actor who I think is, despite his Tonys and his success, is very underappreciated in the, the lexicon of American <laughs> musical theater. I mean, he's. You- yeah. He is, I agree with you wholeheartedly. He is such a brilliant actor. I mean, just, I mean, the voice is incredible. The voice to me, I think is just like this gorgeous instrument. Like, where is this coming from? But if you watch Sweeney and then you watched, and then you, I mean, which is terrifying. Absolutely. Terrifying. terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you watch this man, like he's going to kill me. And then if you, if you actually go, if you go to the New York public library and you watch his performance in Lacage, It is a 180, sweet, vulnerable, mm-hmm. warm, kind. And you're like, this is not the same person. Uh, he is underappreciated. I think he's very underappreciated. I loved him in Sunset Boulevard. I did was, too. I was when he very was Max, lucky I got to see was, him do that. Yeah. I right? Was, you were like, that's, I was this is so incredible. Excited. I went to see that show at part of a school trip when I, uh, and uh, for governor's school. I was in the governor's school for drama in Delaware. And we went to see Sunset. And everyone else was, I cannot remember who was playing uh, the lead. It might've been Betty Buckley, which was pretty exciting. Um, it was not Glenn Close, but I remember being so excited that George Hearn was still in the show and everybody kind of looking at me like, who are you excited about exactly here? I'm like, you don't understand. You haven't seen the Sweeney video. He's amazing. You have to watch this over and over again. He, yeah. I mean, he, he was great and had, before he was doing musicals, had a really nice career in straight plays as well. I mean, yeah. he's just, he's just, I think he's just a Renaissance man in the theater. And I agree with you. He's, he's someone when I started my, my podcast, like I was like, God, I want to get him on the show so bad. So oh, bad. I so would, good. I just to talk to him, just to thank him, just to yeah. thank him. Cause he was, I mean, he was so, incredible. you know, and um, you know, taking on Lacage at this time was a risk. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was a risk for these actors to say, yeah, we're going to play, you know, we're going to do the first gay love love affair on a, on a Broadway musical. So, and it's so funny to me, the history of the show, they seem to always have problems casting George. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, and not Albin, you know, you'd think it would be Albin. You'd think it would be the, the much broader body or mm-hmm. role that they would be like, they're having trouble finding actors to play it, or you'd have trouble finding the right person who can convey the pathos and the humor and all that. But it seems to me that every George has been replaced, right? In every production uh, of the show. Exactly. Exactly. In the beginning, in the original, yeah, Gene Barry 
played it, and they were even talking about firing Jim Barry. Yeah, I know. They were like, he's not working out. It's not working. It's unthinkable now. And then the, my this is one of my favorites. I just love this so much. Is that when they were doing replacements, they looked at Robert Stack. Do you know this story? They brought in Robert Stack from Unsolved Mysteries. Who's my? Mm-hmm. I love Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, I mean, sure. no, nothing will creep me out more than Robert Stack saying in a trench coat in the fog. In a, tre- right? in a trench coat in the fog. <laughs> Mary was never seen again. Right. But they were doing the a run through of him as a replacement, and Arthur Lawrence was like, "Just stop! Right. You're fired." And he was like, okay, I'm right, leaving. Right, right, and he's fine, like, and he right. just, he let, so yeah, they got rid of Robert Stagg. Then they got rid of Daniel Davies, who was in the revival, mm-hmm. right? right? Who played, he was the nanny. He was the butler on the nanny. Right. I heard, I've heard both sides of that story. Yeah. Of like, why that's a com- he, that That's a complicated, yeah. Cloudy and you're like, story. And you're yeah. like, okay. Yeah. And then Jeffrey Tambor. I know. In, in the revival, in the right. last revival. And then like, they got rid of him. You know what? I, I don't know what it is, but you know what it might be? And I could be totally off base on this. Alban actually has a pretty easy, a pretty easy track in this show because whatever he's feeling, mm-hmm. he sings about. Mm-hmm. And George doesn't. Yeah. George really doesn't. George has to, without a lot of he, George really has like one big song in Act One. Mm-hmm. That's like his song on the sand, and that's his. But everything else, the actor has to you have to work very hard in that role. Yeah, because you have to balance the love of my son, the love of my husband, uh, my my own self worth. I mean, there's so much going on that the authors don't really express because they give all of that to Albert, the flashier character. So I think at some point actors might just be like, "I'm really frustrated." Well, and it seems what I've read about the original production that it was kind of like that, and and the direction that Arthur Lawrence gave. Uh, was to to never not look George Hearn in the eyes during every so like keep your lock focus on George Hearn and engage, and it seems that that solved a lot of the problems of the original production for Gene Barry. But so, but it's it it does feel like almost that you're right. It's a part that a lot goes unsaid, and it it's also sort of the straight man, which is anyone it who's is. ever done comedy knows is the hardest thing in the world to cast. It's you, so hard to cast a good straight man. You are a, you are a straight man for two and a half hours, yeah. and at the end when you come out to bow, you know who they're you know who they're wildly applauding for. Right. I mean, I'm I'm sorry, and that's yeah. you know, and I I will say I have seen productions of Lacage where I felt that the George was stronger than the Alban. But the audiences are like, that guy sang the most and he ripped off mm-hmm. his wig and, you know, he yeah. did the six minute comedy set with the audience and they, and they love that. So, yeah, I, it is a hard role. It is mm-hmm. a very, very difficult role. Because yeah. like you said, you're stripping, you're reacting to everything. Yeah. You're just and, reacting to I everything. mean, that scene with the in-laws has got to be just like terrifyingly weird as it, like, because you're playing so many different fronts all at once. It's just got to be so hard to keep, stay in the moment, let alone Ex- convey all those emotions you're supposed to convey. Exactly. And at least in the movie, in the movie mm-hmm. who who's like the Robin Williams character, yeah. at least has a lot of time where he can like react, then act crazy and then try to bring them and that and that i think gives you a lot to play in lacage those in-laws come in they sing and yeah. then alban shows up and you're like well what the hell well, am who's i watching for? me right who's exactly. watching me and yeah. not to, and not to say that every actor is like you know you have to watch me but i can imagine that must be difficult to sit there and be like yeah this is, and not I'm draw not focus f- and keep it i mean that's the hardest thing to do there's a there's a really uh interesting fl fugard play called exits and entrances i don't know if you know it but it is a um it's about a, a dresser and an older gay actor. Yes. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a very heartwarming play, but the younger dresser character, who's the narrator, spends 90% of the play just listening to what the other character is saying. And that is so hard. I remember when I saw it, I was like, God, that actor is doing such a great job. <laughs> like just listening, which is one of the hardest things to do on stage is to actively listen to somebody you, else. So that every time the audience looks at you, they immediately shift back to where they're supposed to be looking. It's so challenging. And I will say that like with Gene Barry and Daniel Davies and Kelsey Grammer, you got actors. Mm-hmm. Like those three men, regardless of what you want to say about them, Austin, whatever, yeah, yeah. those three men were actors. Yeah, and and could provide that support. So yeah, it is. It's it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one for whoever's playing that role. It's a very yeah. It's a, it, it's also my talking about the the Birdcage film. It is my favorite, um, Robin Williams performance. It's the movie I watched the night he died, um, to remember oh. because I am. It is so simple, small, and subtle. 
he, and restrained. Yeah. It's the most restrained performance I think he ever gave. And it is just, he's just doing, he's giving so much to Nathan Lane in that movie. It's amazing to watch him give. He, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think people, I, I hope people don't forget that. I mean, he was such a comic was an genius. Amazing actor oh my then. God. Yeah. But what an actor. What, an actor. what That scene in the, bu- in the bus stop when he goes and he says, My cemetery is in Key Biscayne. It's one of the prettiest in the world. It's lovely trees, the sky is blue, there are birds. One in Las Copas really shit. What a pain in the ass you are. That's true, you're not young, and you're not new, and you do make people laugh. And me, I'm still with you because you make me laugh. So you know what I gotta do? I gotta sell my plot in Key Biscayne so I can get one next to you in that shithole Las Copa so I never miss a laugh. It gets me every time. It yeah. gets me every time. Yeah, he was he was he was incredible. He was incredible. Yeah, and the absolutely. scene where he looks at his son and he's like, you know, yeah, I wear makeup. Yeah, I mm-hmm. sleep with a guy, yeah, but at yeah, least right. I know who I am. I know who I am, right? And you it took ju- me 20 and years to get here. It's so simple. He's was such he could he was such a simple actor when it was necessary and to think that he was going to play nathan lane's role at one point yeah it's just astounding to me yeah astounding to me but god damn what oh, a good actor he a was yeah he's a tremendous actor yeah. so to get to the barbara walters part of the interview uh <laughs> what tree would i be no right <laughs> when did that become the act that is such a joke i've never heard her ask that but as a joke i absolutely get um <laughs> a, a spruce, <laughs> be a spruce. what would you be um, be a spruce because it's like bruce but cuter <laughs> Love it. Um, what, so four years old, you saw this show. Yeah. How did yeah. this show grow for you? I mean, such a young age to be introduced to. Obviously, you didn't understand what was going on. No. But, <laughs> but as you like, eventually figured it out. Like this very positive role yeah. model. In, in, yeah. 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 At, which no, is you're... such a blessing for you to have at that. At yes. That young age. Thank. Yeah. 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 No. Between seeing that when I was four, mm-hmm. and then I think I was fourteen when the Birdcage came out, and I saw that mm-hmm. uh, the idea of you are what you are, whether it's Nate, whether it's George Hearn singing, I am what I am. And if you don't like it, get out. Or Robin Williams saying, it took me a long time to get here, but I know who I am to have those two philosophies being the foundation of your formative years. Mm -hmm. To me, uh, is some, I have never felt, and I might be rare. I have never felt shame for being a gay man. And I think I would bet any amount of money on it that that comes from being introduced to Lakage at such an early age and then following up with the birdcage as I was like in the height of puberty. Mm. But, like the, but, but seeing that, because if I had seen something like you had mentioned earlier, where it was like, I'm going to kill myself because I can't live with myself, it would have been a whole... It would be a whole other ball game, I think. It would, it would have been an absolutely whole other ball game, or a musical where there are gay characters and they're being laughed at for being effeminate and limp-wristed and all the stereotypes that that used to come along. So yeah, I do. I do think that my sense of yeah, this is who I am, and it's a and it is part of my identity. It has to have come from both of these shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, both the Birdcage, both and those, the, yeah, and Lacage the music. The other question I like to ask about shows like this, especially of writers and directors, is where do you see this show popping up for you in your work? Is this something where you go like it, it, the, more than or the, even the memory of the production of seeing it? But like, yeah. Oh, the memory of the production, or or just the, in general, where do you see the show come out when you're doing something? You go, oh right, this is the, like a Lacage thing for you. Even even later, oh, it's yeah. it's you know what? It's it's something I read. In, it's either the, the original program of the show or the liner notes of the CD, but Arthur Lawrence's instruction to Harvey Firestein and Jerry Herman, it's about love. Mm-hmm. It's all about love. And for me, when I direct, I'm like, it has to be about love. It can be a love of person to person, love for a cause, love for an idea. But what is the love? Because the love is something that's universal. We all understand that. We might not understand the cause. We might not understand why I'm loving the other person. But the concept of love is something that goes along with me. So every time I go to direct, that's the one I always ask myself. It's about love. What kind of love is it? Hmm. 
That's really interesting. Do you find you need to like when you when you read a script, do you look for that when you get like when you get the material from the jump? Is that yeah. right how you're getting into it? Yeah, because you need you need to figure out what is what is the universal theme or idea that's going on in this piece that everyone can relate to. Once again, they don't have to relate to the, you know, the mode that it's coming out in or or you know, like I think Sweeney Todd does that brilliantly. The mm. the idea of revenge. Mm-hmm. Like how far are you willing to go? To, to avenge the loss of your loved ones. And that is something, whether it's his situation, which was they were wrongfully taken away from him, but you can apply that to cancer. Like if, mm. you, if, you, if you could look at cancer and kick its ass for taking your family and relatives away, how would you do that? If somebody had murdered your family, would you be able to go? And it, to me, that thematic idea is something that you're like, boom, this is what the show is about. Because it, you always have to keep coming back to that idea. Mm. And I'm not saying like it has to be like blatantly, you know, exposed on, on the stage. But I think you as a director need to figure out what is that idea and then build the room around that. So it can all, you can always come back to a home base. So Jerry, so Arthur Lawrence saying, look, guys, it's about love to me is the same way Jerome Robbins saying, look, guys, it's about tradition. Mm-hmm. It's about the changing of tradition. You do, yes. So yes, I always, anything I'm directing, I need to boil it down to one word. And if I can't boil it down to one word, I don't think I've done something right. That's just, that's, that's just me though. That's just me. But that, but that was, that was stimulated though by reading those liner notes of Lacage where he goes, it's all about love. Do you share that with the actors? Do you take, do you yes. take that into the, you do? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I always do. Because I think we all need to understand what home base is. Like, mm-hmm. for me, it's almost like running a marathon. You're like, look, this is the finish line. This is the finish line. And no matter what we do, we're always going to come back to that. And if it's your idea on how to make this story about love better, it's mine. It doesn't matter as long as we all know what story we're trying to tell. Because I think you've seen this before. You know, you see shows where you're like, are they all telling the yeah. same story? Oh, Yeah. Like, it's everyone in the same world. And I think that if you look at it, I don't think that they had a really strong idea about what, well, what's the unifying concept? Mm-hmm. You know, what is the unifying concept? And I'm not saying it has to be like, we're doing Two Gentlemen of Verona and we're setting it on Mars to show <laughs> the alienation. Like, no, 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 I'm yeah. not saying that. I'm just saying like, what is, is there a word we can always come back to? Because mm-hmm. then I think it puts everybody in the same framework and they go, okay, well, now we're all operating with this one word in our mind. And, you know, there are, you know, somebody could look at Lacage and go, it's about family. And somebody else, you could look at it and go, no, it's not about family. It's about sexuality. Mm-hmm. Great. My vision, your vision are going to be totally different, but at least we all know what that vision is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And then the audience can decide that was effective, that was not effective. Yeah, but I know I, you have to share it with the actors. You have to share it with the designers. I don't like to share too much. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, like, I don't, I don't like to, I don't, I'm not a big research. I, I love research on my own. But I'm not, I don't like to spend a lot of time being like, and in 1942, these were the shoes you were wearing. That's your job. That's, you, that, mm. that's, your, that's your job. What drew you to being a director instead of a performer or any other job in the theater? I was, um, uh, <laughs> control. Um, I want to control things. It's a good answer. It's a good answer. <laughs> um, no, I was, I was an actor in LA, a child actor, and like, knock wood, I was successful. Um, sold a lot of Levi's jeans and commercials only hey. aired in Norway. Uh, right. <laughs> now I can't fit into the jeans. <laughs> but if you ever... Uh, well, they were children's ever, jeans, Rob. I wouldn't worry about it too much, right? I can't get my thigh in. Right. Um, and then I... T3. I, I was... Uh, <laughs> this is working. Um, I was... I need Ikea jeans. Um, when I was uh, in high school, it was a fluke. My drama teacher was having a baby and was like, I'm not going to direct a show this semester. And to me, that was like what like the end of the world like how can we not do a show this semester right um and i was like i'll do it i was like 16 17 i was like i'll do it and of course i cast myself as the lead because i'm very good because i'm very good at casting right and i was i was doing it and i was like i was like this feels right to me Hmm. like this feels right like the like being in the creative control, coming up with a vision, analyzing the text, helping this actor, helping this designer, being inspired by like, oh my God, this designer has brought in a thing I would never have thought of in a million years. And for me, that thrill has never gone away. And so I turned 18, I joined the union. I was directed a lot. Yeah, I directed a lot in LA. I was like, I will work for free. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I need, I just need to work. 
I just need to work. To me, there's nothing more satisfying than sitting in the back of a house and hearing an audience laugh or cry based on this world that you've concocted for them. Mm-hmm. I also don't like memorization, so that's why. I'm that, that's good. Through. That helps. Yes, you don't have <laughs> yeah. to memorize anything. But no, that's what that's what I got into. And then my my specialty, like my area of like, yes, but was was musical theater. Was musical mm-hmm. theater. I got an MFA at Penn State, directing specifically for musicals. Mm. Oh wow, which was cool. Yeah, and so I love it. I absolutely love it. I just yeah, that's nothing. Well, that much is clear. Yet. No, that yeah. is not only from tonight, but from your other podcasts and from yes, it's your your love for the art form is is. Not I love it. There's nothing. There's yeah. nothing better. There's nothing better. <laughs> what, what what else would you want to do? What's uh What's your favorite song? Oh, I love um a little more mascara. When life is a real bitch again. And my old sense of humor has up and gone. It's time for the big switch again. I put a little more mascara on. When I count my crow's feet again. And tire of this perpetual marathon. I put down the John seat again and put a little more mascara on. Because I think it's so specific and you totally understand why this person is doing what they're doing. And I think for a lot of people, especially at this time, it was such a foreign concept. Like, why would this man, you know, why is he wearing a dress and why is he putting on makeup and why is why does he want to be referred to as you know she you know back then people are like, what the hell is this and yeah. then in that one song it explains to you it's not an i want song it's an i am song mm-hmm. you know yeah and it tells you this is who she is this is this is he you know this is what makes him happy and we can go for me, it's basketball. For me, it's stamp collecting. For me, it's this. For me, it's that. You can put, you can project your own thing of like what what makes me happier more than anything. And I think that song, from that point out, I think in that show, you're like, got it. Mm-hmm. If you if you are if you went into that show, I think in 1983, and you were a bigot, and you were like, and after that number, I think you might still be a bigot, but at least right. you go, well, I get it. Now. I understand yeah. now. Mm-hmm. I understand why it's happening. Yeah, you know, or at least why that, that person would choose exactly, to, yeah. exactly. And I think what's this way. Yeah. and what's so cool in George Hearn's performance is you can hear the joy, you can hear the joy build in him, even though you're not watching him put on the dress or the makeup. You can hear vocally the enjoyment he's getting as he's layering those items on himself till eventually he sings, you know, Jaja's here and he he goes out onto the stage. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah, oh sure. So that that's a big one for me. That's and great. Song I, on the Sand is romantic. Yes, that is a lovely song and a lovely reprise as well. I love a good, good reprise like that. Oh, they love that reprise. They were like, we're going to put this in a couple of more times, folks. This is going <laughs> to. Rob, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, this was such a, a joy for so me. People can find you on the internet, uh, on podcasts. <laughs> but we'll yeah, to... I do. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I do. Uh, one podcast is called Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been on the air for five years. Um, we have have over 400 episodes, so wow. go take a listen. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. And then uh, Robbie Rizell and I started a new podcast called Gay Card Revoked. Um, and it's all the things that uh, members of the LGBTQ plus community should see. Otherwise, their card gets taken away from them. So yes. we do a de- do a deep dive into things like designing women. Yes. So you did. Yeah. You've done. Yes. You've done soap dish. You did designing women. And next up, I believe, is Charles Pierce, right? Yes, Charles yeah. Pierce. Yeah this, the, yeah, this amazing, amazing person that I think people are starting to forget about. But w- without him, there would be no RuPaul. There would be no Lady Bunny. He was like a genius. And so we're celebrating him this week. Yes. On Friday's episode with Richie Ridge from Broadway oh. World, who worked, who was like there one of go. his best friends and worked with him. So oh, he had amazing, yeah, amazing stories to oh, tell. I can't wait to listen yeah. to that. That's Thanks. great. Those I've watched the, the videos yeah. that are, po- and every, you guys also post video homework that you're yes, supposed to do, do. which I greatly appreciate. <laughs> I'm a teacher, so I'm like, I gotta. That's like, good. I've I seen Soap Dish, but I, I, and I not really watched Designing Women, but I, I knew who Charles Pierce was, but I didn't never seen it. It was great oh, it's to so, see those videos. Oh, so cool. And, yeah, good. Good. So yes. Great. Thank you so much for doing this. This was wonderful. Thank you, Patrick. Hi. 
what I am. I am my own special creation. So, come take a look. Give me the hook or the ovation. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on all platforms at UnknownPenguin. Enjoying yourself? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell the world. You can also find the original cast on Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and wherever fine podcasts are available. My thanks to Rob Schneider for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Yeah.